get started immediately. Get as educated as you can. One of my biggest things I always tell investors that are wanting to get started, I say, look, it's not easy. It does take a lot of hard work, but it will pay off in the long run if you just do it. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you. And this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal best ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line, and they want to help you reduce your loan payments to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to tradition, the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way. And it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all of the interest up front versus upon distributions. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The documents at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Wendy Patton. How you doing, Wendy? Excellent, Joe. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. And Wendy has done over 750 deals and has been investing since 1985. Her focus is on creative seller financing, lease options, subject twos, and land contracts or contract for deeds. She is based in Detroit, Michigan. And Wendy, with that being said, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? You bet, Joe. When I started in 1985, I was young and broke and did not have anything saved, did not have any credit established. So I wanted to get started in this investing business. It started because my mother gave me a real estate course that she had purchased at an event. And my father said, no, we're not going to do that. So he was a little bit fearful of this investing world. And she gave me the course after I had graduated from college and On my way from Colorado to Michigan, I listened to the course and decided, oh my gosh, this is what I want to do. This is so much more exciting than what my degree is in. So I started to pursue that on top of the job that I already had and was able to start buying properties using creative financing strategies. Because like I said, I only made 10 bucks an hour and had to pay for living expenses. So I didn't have a lot of money. And then I ended up getting married 
had twins, unfortunately got divorced. And so I was a single mother for many years as well. So I started doing these creative strategies like a land contract where you just pay a small amount down to the seller. They finance it instead of the bank. And then I started getting into my biggest specialty. What I'm more known for is lease options. Mm -hmm. So I was leasing properties with the option to buy them and then subletting them with the lease option to buy them to another end buyer, what we call a sandwich lease option and started making a boatload of money. And of course, I ended up quitting my job soon after that. And that's what I've done. So I've done so many of those, Joe, over the years. And I've done other kinds of investing, but some of my favorite things are just those creative strategies that it takes a little bit more creativity mm-hmm. to put together than now I have the money. So I also buy fix and flip and I buy and hold. However, those creative deals are the ones that I really enjoy because they make you think about how to structure something. Yeah. It keeps things fresh too. Yeah. They're yeah. all different. Let's talk about one. Will you tell us a story of one creative financing example that you've done? Sure. I had this one deal and it was a deal that I had to add in Craigslist. And it basically said, company looking for three to four homes on long-term lease. So this woman called me. She had this home. It had been listed for $189.9 on the market and it hadn't sold. It had just expired. So she saw my ad and decided that, gosh, it hadn't sold. Maybe she should lease it. Of course, after we talked, I have a little script I use. I found out she really wanted to sell it, which is what I really wanted to do is buy it. Mm-hmm. And we worked out a deal and it kind of sounds a little bit strange, but I ended up paying 185 for it. Now, mind you, with commission, she wouldn't have received 185 yeah. However, because of the terms she gave me, it was a real low monthly. I think I paid 1100 a month and I had the option to buy it for three years at the 185 Well, I knew I could lease it for... 1495 a month, so 1500 bucks a month. And I was able to option it to a tenant buyer who paid me 225 for that deal. So I was able to create this $40,000 spread on the purchase and the sell end of something that just didn't sell in the retail market and had cash flow, almost $400 a month cash flow on that deal. And it was really kind of an interesting deal. People will say, well, why would this person pay you 225? And I said, well, guess what it appraised for? It appraised for like 235 or 240. I can't remember for sure, but it was more than what she paid for it. And it was kind of out in the country. This woman had seven dogs. Okay, first of all, landlords are not gonna take someone with seven dogs. (laughs) Right. And she had some credit issues. So that's why she needed something like a lease option where she just had needed a little bit of time to improve her credit. And it took her only about 18 months to do that. And then she was able to cash me out on that deal. So I've done lots and lots and lots of those types of deals with lease options. Let's do a summarized replay of that. I'm going to attempt to recap what you just said, just so I have it in my head clearly. Your purchase price was 185 and you agreed to pay $1,100 a month in monthly payments. And I assume you had a balloon payment too with her. Yeah, And actually I didn't put anything down on that one and I didn't get any credit off 1100. Had I thought a little more creatively okay. for a couple hundred bucks of the 11 to be credited, but I didn't. Okay. So, so it was 1100 yeah. in rent then. Yeah. I paid 1100. It was rent, total expense, nothing credited. Okay. 1100 in rent that doesn't go towards your purchase price. And then you have a balloon payment. And when was the balloon payment due? Within three years. Within three years. Yep. So basically, I'm thinking doomsday scenario. You 
don't find a buyer, but you do find a tenant and they are renting for the same amount that you're renting it for from her. And since you have no money in, you're breaking even. But if you can find someone who pays above that in rent and then also agrees to a higher purchase price, then you're making money in both of those areas. Yeah. And I didn't really get into the full details. One of the things that the buyer did is she also gave me $10,000 down, non-refundable. So I'm not putting anything down with that seller. I'm getting this $10,000 down. So I have $10,000 in my pocket when I started this deal on top of that cash flow. That's the part that even if they don't buy, well, that's what's beautiful about an lease option. If they don't buy, or I don't want to buy, or I can't buy, I'm in control with the privilege and the right to purchase that property, but not the obligation. Mm-hmm. And so even though I have this balloon, it's not really a balloon because that would imply maybe that I have to pay it off by that time. I have the right to buy it by that time, but I don't have to do it. So if things tank, doomsday, we have another right. 2007 type of market, no problem. I can go back to the seller and renegotiate or go back to the seller and say, you know, I've decided I'm not going to exercise my lease with option to buy. And the $225,000 purchase price when she was looking for one eighty five, right? is that seller financing where you're doing the financing for it? I actually only do a lease with an option to buy on it. So I, okay. it, it's not true seller financing because I don't even own it and she's not going to own it. So I'm not technically financing it. However, I kind of put it in that same bucket mm-hmm. of creativity where it's almost like owner financing. I am kind of financing it for them in the short term till they can get their mortgage. And usually when I get a deal from a seller, I usually will get three to five years type of time frame. That's kind of my typical, sometimes longer, not usually much less. But when I give my buyer time, usually I will give them between 12 and 18, maybe 24 months, depending on their situation. If they had a bankruptcy and they need that two years or whatever their situation is, it's going to kind of depend on them. Why they need that time to get a mortgage. Sometimes they may only need six more months. And in that case, I may give them nine. I'm going to give them a few extra months of cushion on the back end to get that done. Mm -hmm. The appraisal is an important aspect of this since they're getting financing in a traditional sense. In that case, did it appraise for 225? And if so, what happens if it didn't? That one actually appraised for more than 225. And I think the reason that it can, especially when you get to these unusual properties, like that one was kind of out in the country. It had 10 acres. It's a little bit unique in that regard. The appraisals are a little bit more flexible. And then, then it like maybe a city kind of consistent type of every cookie cutter home is the same. If it didn't appraise, I do not have to sell. I only have to sell for 225. The buyer may not buy if it doesn't appraise, but I only have to sell at 225. Now I could choose to go down, Joe. So there have been times over the courses, I've done a lot of deals. So there've been a few times over the years where it didn't appraise. And I'm a realtor, so I'll go back, I look at the comps at that time, and I might say, I agree with the appraiser. And maybe then I will go down. I have a choice to, I don't have to. For me, I have kind of a philosophy that I've taken over these years. I've been in business a long time, and I feel like one of the things that became important to me was this whole rule of pigs get fat, hogs go to slaughter, or you never get hurt taking a profit that kind of philosophy. So if I'm still going to make money and it's the right thing to do to drop that price, because that's truly what it might be worth. 
I would reduce my price if I could still make a profit. But that doesn't mean someone listening has to do that. They just have to sell it for what they agreed to. Right. Will you tell us a story of another deal that you've done? Sure. So that's called a sandwich lease option. Another strategy would be what's called a cooperative lease option. And that's kind of like wholesaling a deal. So I came across a deal recently where the seller came to me and was willing to do a lease option. However, they wanted about 149 So just we'll call it 150 right? And it was really only worth maybe 155 or something like that. It was so close. I didn't feel like I could mark it up that much more than about 155 because uh-huh. of what they owed on it. So what I did is I went in and locked it up on a lease option for the 150 and I flipped it to a tenant buyer for five grand, but then I'm out of it. So it's not a sandwich. I actually assign my contract to the tenant buyer for the 150, but they pay me five grand for it. Just like we do in wholesaling for investors, except that this is not wholesaling to an investor. It's wholesaling to like a tenant buyer who's willing to pay top dollar to get terms on a property that they're going to live in and occupy. I've done lots that are like that, those little flip things. So sometimes we find these deals that they just don't have enough meat on the bones. I mean, I'm not going to do anything like that. There's no money in it. I can't sandwich that. I can't really do much with it, but I can flip it for five grand. I can do those all day long. So when you come across a deal that the seller is looking for top dollar or whoever's representing the seller is looking for top dollar, then this is a place where you can go, where you flip it to a tenant buyer who would then buy it directly from the seller and they're just assigning the rights to purchase. You got it. Exactly. It's just, there's not enough in there. And this is a great strategy for anyone listening who who is an investor, who they're out scrounging for deals, they're sourcing them and they find some deals, but there's just nothing there. We probably have turned away many, many deals like that, that as long as the seller is willing to do a creative thing, like a lease with an option to buy for a few years out, then it's a perfect opportunity to flip that to someone for that. Typically an option fee is going to be about three to 5% of that purchase price. So in that example, five grand, that's just a hair over 3%. And -hmm. that's going to be a typical deal that I can do all day long like that. What's the most complicated deal you've done? Mm -hmm. Most complicated. Or just a lot of people involved or a lot of entities or just really challenging, whichever direction you want to go with this. I'm going to think of one that's just really recent. One of my most complicated ones was uh, I do some small development where it was a lot split. Mm-hmm. And it was a property that I was buying. I uh, bought the property on an option. So the owner came to me and said, hey, I've got this other property that's down the road. It's on this canal. And our waterfront properties are fairly valuable here in Michigan. So it was on a canal, not the main part of the lake. But number one, it wasn't ready. I felt like it could be split, but I wanted to make it of course, the purchase subject to the split being done. And I had to go through an entire process. It took about nine months where I had to do an application through the city. I had to hire a surveyor. I had to put a lot of money out on this deal without it closing. And time. Soil borings on it. And to make sure that the city wanted soil borings to know what could be built and what the quality of the ground was. So it was kind of a lot of things that I don't normally deal in. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot about just land development, just from this one little teeny parcel. It ended up working out. We ended up getting the approval. We got the right to split it. And then then in the last minute after it was ready to split, 
and it got all approved. I went to all the meetings and I went in front of the township. Then the seller goes, you know, I kind of changed my mind. Maybe my son wants to buy it. So then I immediately, I have this thing called a claim of interest that gets recorded against their title. And I didn't even tell them I was doing this. I went right to the county, recorded my claim of interest to say, hey world, I have an interest in this property. I've got a purchase agreement dated such and such. And then once I had it recorded, I came back and I called him and I said, hey, I just want to let you know that we need to move forward. I think you should contact an attorney if you feel like I have a valid contract, but I have a claim of interest recorded against this because I've done everything and I've paid all this money out and I've spent nine months to split this property and make it valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think he got some legal advice and the guy's like, look, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're not going to win. You might as well just sell it to Wendy. And he did and it worked out fine. But there was that moment of that, we changed your mind. So I had a little bit of complexities in that project. And, and some drama. Of, yeah. When he told you that, was it over the phone or email, by the over way? The phone. Over was- the phone. Let's pretend I'm him. Wendy, I actually think a relative of mine is going to buy it, but I appreciate working with you and talking to you over the last nine months. Okay, Joe, why did you change your mind? What happened? I thought your son didn't want to buy the property. Okay, so now we'll step out of role playing. So I give you a reason. And then how do you end that conversation? I'm trying to remember exactly how that call went, but I probably would have said something like, okay, Joe, you know what? I hear what you're saying and I need to to sometimes to digest that. Can I just, let me think through that. Uh And can I give you a call back maybe tomorrow or the next day? Yep. And then what that does is it keeps that relationship still intact where I didn't get angry. I didn't get upset with him. However, I needed to go protect myself immediately with the title because as soon as someone starts to flake out on me and I've done work, I immediately go and record that because I've got to protect my interest at that point. I don't ever normally do that unless there's an issue. And then I came back and said, hey, okay, Joe, here's the deal. I've really thought about it and I just don't feel that's fair. I've spent the last nine months doing this. And if you want to get out of the contract, then I feel like it's only right that you pay me now what I'm going to sell those properties for. And he goes, well, what do you think that would be? And I go, well, it's going to be a lot more than you sold it to me for because now I put thousands of dollars and not including any of my time into confirming to see if these properties are even splittable. Mm -hmm. And now what they're worth is two lots, not one because of the work I did. And so if you'd like to buy me out, then you could, would you want to do that? And of course he had no idea what they were going to be worth. And when I told him what they were going to be worth, he said, wow, that's a lot. And I said, well, yeah, that's why I wanted to do that. And we went through this whole process and we ended up closing on it, but it was a little bit risky there for a minute. I was a little bit worried for a little bit. I was like, oh man, I just oh, don't I know <laughs> Yeah, nine months. Nine months. That's a oh. long time and that's a lot of money. How did you know what to do with the county to push that through for the split? Well, normally when you're going to do anything that's going to be a split or land development, you kind of start with the city first. And, and that one really was through just the city where I would go to them. I actually usually go in and, or call the assessor first or whoever in that particular, in, in Michigan, it's the assessor's office. They're the ones that go out and value land and properties. And I would call them and just say, Hey, I've got this property. Here's the property ID number, the address or whatever it is. And I think it might be splittable. And I just kind of want to know. If you think it might be, if you could tell me the process over the phone, or if you can tell by looking at your aerial overlays, is that a possibility that it could be divided? 
Mm. So I've done quite a few of those too. So I just ask and then they might say, well, this is what you need to do first. Okay. Well, what is that? The application? Okay. And then of course in mine, they're, oh, they went with the soil borings, which was kind of unusual. Some cities that want perk tests done, if it's going to be a septic area, it depends on where you live. I kind of live on the North part of Metro Detroit. So five, 10 minutes North of me is going to be all septic fields and bigger parcels. And then just South of me is going to be your normal lots in the city, your city water and sewer, normal subdivisions. So I kind of look at both. All in, how much did you pay and then how much did you sell it for? I can remember my profit because I 1031. <laughs> okay, like, what was your profit? It was like 70 grand. Wow. On them for a little deal. And I think we paid maybe 70 or something or it must have been like 60 for it, right? Because I probably had five grand of closing stuff and a little the fees and stuff in there. What did you 1031 into? I 1031 into another property up in Northern Michigan. What's that deal? It's a lot on a golf course where we thought we would build our summer home. And we put it into the company first because it was an LLC. Mm -hmm. And then we thought, well, later, if we end up converting it, then we'll do it. But we probably aren't going to now. So we're probably going to sell that property or 1031 exchange it back down somewhere closer to something else. I just don't know what it'll be, but I'll probably put it into more of an income generating asset. We just thought, well, if we build something up there, we can rent it, we can use it a little bit. We just were exploring that whole idea and that's what we thought we would do. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? There's a couple of things, not just one thing. Number one, of course, get started immediately. Get as educated as you can. One of my biggest things I always tell investors that are wanting to get started, I say, look, it's not easy. It does take a lot of hard work, but it will pay off in the long run if you just do it and you do it persistently and consistently. Turn off the TV at night. Stop watching that crap. You're filling your mind with negative stuff. Spend your evenings listening to podcasts like this, to positive motivational things, reading, educating yourself, to calling sellers, whatever it is, especially if you already have a full-time job. I think it's that whole changing that your mindset and it's setting real strong goals that you're going to go after. So it's not necessarily all the real estate stuff. To me, I think actually, I would say the mindset is the most important thing. It's changing your stinking thinking first because real estate is, yeah, you learn about real estate. You want to learn about the techniques. All that stuff is great. But to me, the biggest thing that ever held me back was I didn't think I should make more than a hundred grand or 200 grand a year. I actually had an issue with that from the very beginning. I thought, well, Money is the root of all evil and all that stuff. And I think everyone has these types of things that hold them back. And what is it that I've guided today? I mean, I was yesterday afternoon, I was mentoring one of the agents in my office and I was mentoring him and he was saying that he's been living at the poverty level for 15 years, but he's brilliant. And I said, well, why are you living at the poverty level? And he said, because I think it's this message I got when I was a kid that I would never amount to much. And I'm like, well, when are you going to change that? I'll help you. Let's work on this right now. Because if you don't change that mindset, you never will amount too much as far as income goes. So anyways, I could go on for hours on that whole topic. No, I hear you. It's the foundation of what we must have. Yeah. I, I was in a seminar last week and one of the speakers said, a teenager or a kid has thousands of thoughts that go through their mind and 80% of them are negative. But when you're older, it's even higher. Am I good enough? Am I going to amount to enough? So it's kind of like changing that whole mindset. And I'm not so much a rah, 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 rah. It's just that I do believe there is so much truth in that, that I have to always combat that negativity coming into our lives or those naysayers that are saying, 
my father in the beginning, he was like, oh my God, I cannot believe you're leaving a corporate job. Are you crazy? You have retirement, you have 401k, you have health benefits. Why would you do that? You went to college for this. And then now he's 87 years old and he's my biggest cheerleader in the entire universe. He's like, oh my God, my daughter, Wendy. It's really cool. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Sure. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan. And conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work-week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com. Wendy, what's the best ever book you've read? I like the one thing by Gary Keller. It keeps you focused and on track. Best ever deal you've done? Best ever deal I've done. I just did one this year in my IRA. I bought this property for $2,000 out of my IRA down. I borrowed from another IRA to fund it because I already had properties in my IRA and I didn't have the cash in there. And it's a deal that will net me about 90 grand tax-free in my Roth. So there you go. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? made a lot of mistakes over the years. Well, I think one of my biggest mistakes, Joe, was back in the downturn. I was speculating in Florida and other places, speculating on future appreciation instead of investing on current numbers and watching the data and the market. Best ever way you like to give back? I run the Michigan Real Estate Investors Group, and I absolutely love that because that gives me the opportunity to help hundreds of people locally learn to do the techniques that I've made so much money at over the years. I love that. And how can the best ever listeners get in touch with you? I would say go to my website, wendypatton.com. It's got my office phone number. I've got some free giveaways on there. I would go there to check out a little bit more about what it is that I do and what I offer. Wendy, thank you for being on the show and educating me and perhaps some best ever listeners on creative strategies. You truly did deliver on what you said you were focused on, and that's creative financing. We talked about three different structures or creative deal making, perhaps, and that's the sandwich lease option, the co-op lease option, and the lot split. And the lessons learned along the way with each of those three, with the lot split in particular, having the moment of drama where you then had to go get a claim of interest recorded on the property and just knowing to do that. I wouldn't know to do that. I would be talking to people like you, certainly if I came across that situation and say, hey, what do I need to do here? Can you please help me out? So that's why we have this podcast is so for best ever listeners who perhaps come across situations like that, then we know, okay, if I have a contract, but someone's trying to back out, then claim of interest, get it recorded. So those types of things, and then just your overall approach, really grateful that you're on the show and shared that with us. So thanks for being on the show, Wendy. Hope you have a best ever day, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. 
Join their end of the work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.